Welcome to Exploring Creativity. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and provide a community for creative people all over the world. On this podcast, we explore a variety of topics with a multifaceted group of creative people. We explore these topics in hopes of broadening your perspective and giving you the tools you need to do your very best work. Today, I'm speaking with Lauren Karp. Lauren is a teacher, artist, and athlete. Together, we explored children's relationships with art, the benefits of simple creative exercises, developing taste, and so much more. It was a great conversation with a great friend, and I'm super excited for you to hear it. Hi, how are you? What's up? Um, not much, just hanging out on Long Island. Um, psyched about this interview and uh, happy to see you. I'm not sure if you know how the format of this works, but basically um, I select from a list of topics that I've been building over the past um, probably like four or five months related to creativity, but more about like the sort of intangible aspects of creativity, the things that go into the creative process that aren't like the hands-on skills. So for example, things like collaboration or environment in which you work or feedback or things like that. So um, I have this huge list of topics for every person. I select a subset of those topics. I'll read them all to you and I'll let you choose where you want to start. Um, feel free to share any thoughts on the subject, any stories, any opinions. All is all is welcome. Cool. Okay. So here's your list of topics. Ambiguity, collaboration, discomfort, environment, fear, feedback, identity, language, play, practice, and self-compassion. I forgot everything. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, So I guess I'll start. The one that I remember. um, Guess collaborative. Only because... Collaboration. Okay. So I would say... I think it's really important to, like, have somebody, I don't know, not, like, look after you, but, like, look at your artwork and, like, or just anything and just be able to give you feedback on that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, for example, like, you know, talking about my friend Shannon, um, you know, her and I would collaborate and we would be creative and make up workouts. And so it's definitely really good to just be able to bounce ideas back and forth um you know but that's just for fun and that's just workouts but like as far as um like when I'm at work I collaborate a lot with the music teacher so him and I will discuss like how to put shows together you know how can the artwork reflect music and things like that so I am fortunate to be in an environment at work where my administrators are pretty cool with us just like letting us do whatever we feel, you know, would be the best for the kids. Yeah, that that autonomy uh, is there. It's so important. I, I feel like especially in creative process, like having autonomy. Um, that's not, I don't think I have that on the list of topics, but I found like every time when there's a creative process and the people that are supporting that process give you the autonomy to make those decisions and move the project as you want i feel like the results are always tend to be better they at least feel better they might not actually be better objectively but they feel better yeah definitely um 
You mentioned a music teacher. Um, and obviously I play music and I make art. Um, and I've always kind of looked at the connections between those two things. It's just not like, it wasn't like a research project I was on, but naturally I was kind of drawing parallels to the two disciplines. Um, what have you found, uh, overlaps, uh, between those two disciplines? Um, I would say it's funny because when I think about my students, a lot of them, they're either art, like visual arts, like what I do, mm -hmm. or they're music. There's not that many kids that are both. So not everybody's mm. like you, Mike. But, um, damn shame. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think like when I'm working with the music teacher and we're trying to put shows together, um, we'll try and figure out like a common theme for our shows and, you know, I'll try to have the students like make art based around that theme and he'll do music around that theme. So and we'll pick a word like collaboration or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the theme may be. Not like a, you know, not like Hawaiian themed like that, but, um, you know what I mean. Uh, do you want to elaborate a little bit? So when you say picking themes, like themes about the music, like, is it a musical? And so you're doing like backdrops to musicals or there's music being made and art being made to support it. So just for example, like before COVID, I was planning on putting together an art show for my school. Mm -hmm. And what the actually, I forget what the theme was for that one. But I mean, it never happened because COVID, unfortunately. But I do remember us trying, like looking at the artwork and like, I mean, I'm, not musical whatsoever so he would look at the artwork and he would be like oh okay well i think this artist would be great like this music artist and you know the students can play this based around what your artwork looks like so um yeah <laughs> so he's doing a lot of the kind of drawing out of the uh the parallels between the art and the music he's looking yeah. for that that parallel um what are your thoughts around like i was talking to someone about this yesterday your thoughts around like colors invoking certain emotions um obviously music does the same do you feel like there's some link there between like notes and music and sound and colors and visuals and things like that 100 percent. actually i literally just did a project on the artist wasley kandinsky or like, oh yes have you heard I have. He's actually, depending on what calendar you're using, he's born on my birthday. Um, but really? I've I found two different birthdays for him for some reason. So one says he is born on my birthday. One says he's not. But yeah, big fan of his work. So, let's go with that. He is. Yeah. <laughs> and art. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So I did an art project with my high school students. And I told them, listen to whatever music you want, as long as it's school appropriate. You know, I've got to throw that mm. in there these days. And, um, you know, so we talked about how basically Kandinsky would essentially see colors and see shapes based around what he was hearing. So it was, I want, I want to say that that was probably the hardest um, project that I assigned all year. But it was mm. funny because the kids looked at the artwork. And we're like, this is what we're doing. 
like they were, I think, be, I think they were a little bit confused because it's so abstract and it's so right. out there, you know, and they were kind of used to me all year being like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. And they like, weren't really thinking very abstract just yet so they were like tell me what to draw like draw your family draw an animal instead of like draw the representation of a feeling or something like that exactly so they were like some of them did amazing with it but a lot of them really struggled with it because they were like I think Kandinsky had like synesthesia or synesthesia. Uh, synesthesia. Yes. <laughs> and they were like, um, I don't think I have that. And I'm like, probably don't. Yeah. <laughs> but just do your best and you will pass. <laughs> right, right. He also had access to uh, hallucinogens and wine and, you know, <laughs> other things that the kids don't have either. So maybe that affected it as well <laughs> most likely i actually had a student ask me about that and i was like um that's a question for google <laughs> yeah sorry i have no i can't respond <laughs> i have no answers <laughs> um how old are the students you're working with so i have middle school and high school um okay so we start at sixth grade which is like 11 or 12 maybe even mm. 10 for some of the kids, depending on their birthday. And then high school, 18, 19. Mm. What would you say is like a big difference between those two groups? Like, uh, I mean, kind of going down the list of topics I mentioned, ambiguity, collaboration, discomfort, fear, identity, um, practice, play, self-compassion. What, like, where are the divides between those two groups? Oh, man. So... I mean, I also taught elementary a couple of years ago and just starting from elementary, little kids think that everything they do is wonderful. It could be a mess, but they think everything is great and they are the best artists. Then they get to middle school where it's like they're open to criticism, but then like, you know, they start to become very critical of themselves. And then in high school, Again, it can kind of go either way. But I think in high school, they develop this like fear of failure and they start like closing off and thinking, I can't do it. And I'm like, well, how do you know? You didn't try. Or they'll do the half of the right. sucks. And I'm like, well, because you're not done. So right, right. I think, as they, I think Picasso said, like, you have to, like an artist is like the child that survives or something like mm -hmm. that. But yes. it really like as the kids get older, they like lose this sense of freedom, you know, like mm -hmm. they're almost scared. They become scared. To make yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And and I see that all the time. I mean, any discipline I'm working in, like the older they get, it's always there's it's almost like what comes with more information about the topic and more like facts about here's a certain brush and here's like, you know, a certain color and here's a nuance of like, this is a green, but this is also a green. Like all these facts and information lead to like this wormhole of self-doubt where it's like, oh, wait, is this like the right green? Like, am I going to fail if I like don't do this perfect green now or like use this brush? One thing I wanted to mention was um, identity. I feel like during 
each phase of like a child's development, they're sort of forming identity um, and relating success maybe to some identity that they have, whether it's like art is cool or art isn't cool because I'm this kind of person now or that. Do you see that happening a lot? I thought that I would, especially in high school, but I don't. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a few kids who just take art because they're supposed to or there was nothing else to take or whatever. But aside from that, like the kids that are like really into sports, like that kid that's a football player, like, believe it or not, they they're really into art. Like when they're into a project, like they're they're into it. They they bring all of the the sports related um, training into the into the process. They actually do. Um, What was I doing? I was doing the artist um, Kehinde Wiley. Okay. I'm not. So he basically would take, I don't know, just random people off the street and paint them as if they were like old English portraits of like kings and queens and royalty and things like that. And the kids were like, can we do Kobe? Like, can we do, you know, Tupac or whatever? And I'm like, sure, go for it. And like, you know, I think as long as you relate, like they can relate to it, like Mm. if it's a music artist that they like or athlete that they like, you know, then they'll be into it. Mm. So for the kids that are like really into it from a young age, what is different between them and someone that just like passively kind of goes through art because they have to? Like, where do you see them? Where do you see the passionate people connecting to art? differently or like or how are they connecting to it differently or are they? I think like the kids that are really really into it they definitely go above and beyond they ask a lot of questions and they you know want to make sure that their project is the best that it can be um the kids who kind of just go with the flow like they're like all right you know I'll do the requirements and that's it like I'm not really into this but I'm here because I have right. to Makes sense. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, the uh, there's a word here, play, that I've been bringing up for a lot of people, especially practitioners who are creating music professionally or designers or poets or whatever. Um, how much play are you injecting in this process? How much do you feel like play is necessary to create art and to, to be expressive? I think it's so important. And even like some of the things that I would do when I taught elementary, I still do it with my high schoolers because as a teacher, you don't always know what the background of that child is. So before I even really introduce a full topic, I'll like, let's say we're doing watercolors and I'm like, okay, here's a pack of watercolors. Have at it. Mm-hmm. And they, and they're like, they look at me like, well, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? And I'm like, I don't know, figure it out. Like, you know, they have to just play in order to learn because I can only teach them so much. Mm -hmm. So, and especially like for the little ones, the little ones, they have to just, you know, they have to have fun. Otherwise they're not going to be engaged. Right. So 
it's interesting how that like changes where the younger kids need to have fun, need to play, to be engaged. And like, as they get older, they feel like it's not a requirement maybe or not part of that process. Or like the idea of play is almost like this tall order that you're putting on them or it's like, okay, play. And they're like, what, whoa, what? <laughs> exactly. The little ones, you have to like, you didn't even need to tell them twice. They were just like ready to go. But the older ones, they kind of look at you like, well, what am I supposed to do? How do I use this? But like sometimes the little ones, they just kind of figure things out because they're more open to it. Mm, that openness. How do you drive and encourage openness in a classroom for the high school students and middle school students? Um, tough question. I would say... I tell them to Google a lot of things because there's so much on the internet nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, they all have their phones, they all have their computers. So if they're really interested in something that maybe I can't explain or maybe I can't demonstrate, you know, they just go online and they just figure they just figure things out. They I'll mm-hmm. give them a list of artists and I'll say, like, oh, look what this artist did, look what that artist has done. And especially local artists too. And you know, living in Miami, we have a lot of those. So yeah done my fair share of Romero Brittos, that's for sure. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I love that, that idea, like kind of working with the way information is disseminated now. I mean, if I have a question about anything, I'm going to go Google it. So why change that in a classroom setting where in real life, they're going to end up doing that. Um, and really it is through that, like pouring over Google searches and clicking links. And I was doing a naming exercise for a client the other day. And I was like, let's just go on Wikipedia on a certain subject related to your project and read and just take words that are interesting to you. And then once any link you find, click that link and go to the next one. And it was pretty much encouraging adults to play. Um, But through this sort of divergent, exploratory, information-seeking activity. So I like that. I think that's a good technique. I was thinking as you were saying it, I'm teaching a class right now, so I'm going to probably encourage that as well. Uh, Some just general Google searching as part of the assignment in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like they Google search one thing, you know, like it leads to another. They watch one YouTube video and then something else pops up on the side. Maybe that will interest them. And also like as far as like with them making mistakes, I think like maybe some kids are used to being like, no, you're not supposed to make a mistake. But then they come to me. I'm like, okay, so you made a mistake. Fix it, throw it out, start over. Not a big deal, you know? Yeah. I think that they need to hear that. Definitely. I think, yeah, mistakes in art, in a subjective medium. um, Is that something you're teaching like very early on or or do the elementary kids not really need to know that? Sort of everything's a mistake in a way and everything's a not mistake, a success in a way. <laughs> um, I would say I do that across the board with kids mm-hmm. of all ages. Like everybody makes mistakes with their artwork, but if it's like a really tough mistake that you just can't fix, all right, well, then you're going to have to start over or, you know, we can turn it into something new, maybe mistakes open other doors. They don't necessarily like close that door off. No, that's the end of my project. So, you know, sometimes one thing leads to another. Yeah. So like reframing mistakes for them is, is what you're finding to be helpful. 
Exactly. Mm. And sometimes, like if a kid makes a mistake and then we fix it in a different way, then another kid will be like, oh, I didn't know we were allowed to do that. And mm. it's like, well, things just happen. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know I was allowed to correct my mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I don't know, you're supposed to make a flower, but you made a butterfly, but whatever. Right. Right. So that's fun. So um, I'm curious about like how your classes are structured and how you're thinking about like, yeah, structuring an art class for uh, a year, the course of a year. Um, what are the considerations you're putting into this? And uh, when you're developing a curriculum? Um, first, I in the beginning of the year, it doesn't matter what course it is, I always start with Zentangles. Um, are you familiar okay. with that? No. So Zentangles are kind of like those henna designs, um, mm -hmm. like Paisley kind of designs, just because I think, and this is just something that I developed by myself over the years, um, I think that it's a good way to gauge where they're at because it shows their attention to detail. It shows neatness. And then from there, you can kind of figure out like what that child needs to work on. Also, I do a lot of color theory, you know, the basics of drawing, different drawing techniques, stippling, hatching, cross-hatching, you know, everything. So, um, we do a lot of technique-driven exercises for anything, maybe the first month or so of school. And then after that, then I start introducing artists. And then usually by like the fourth quarter, um, they have a little bit more freedom. So for example, like last year in the fourth quarter, their last project was their personal piece. And they had to do three separate pieces that were all connected. Now, were they going to connect it through it being a triptych? Are they going to connect right. it through like one um, medium, one subject? So it was up to them. Really? So again, having that much freedom kind of freaked them out a little bit, but they did okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a lot here. So so you're saying, so you start with Zentangles, which I just looked up and now I understand exactly what you're talking about. This basically looks like everything in my notebook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why do you start there? What is it? What's revealing? What does it reveal to you when you start with something that's, like you said, doodling in many ways? Because it's really simple. I just am like, like testing their ability to make up new patterns. What patterns do they already know? How neat are they? Because um, I think neatness plays a huge role in art. Even if your artwork is super abstract, I think it's really important mm -hmm. to have like a neatness kind of background. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, nobody ever taught me that, but I'm going into my seventh year of teaching and it's just kind yeah. of what I figured out over the years. I like it. It's using something simple and like there's literally no rules to it. I think from what I gauge, like a doodle, there's no rules. And so seeing how they respond to a simple exercise that in their mind could be complex, like they could build it up to be complex. Um, exactly. 
kind of gauging their relationship with the page, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I'll give them different Sharpie markers. I use a lot of Sharpies in my classes. So like, why is that? I don't know. <laughs> I just, <laughs> you like I sense. use Sharpie markers <laughs> like no other because I'll buy a pack of like 200 and then within a month they're gone. Mm. But <laughs> Sharpies are great. I like the, the relatively thick ones too. I feel like when you draw a line with that, it's like, it's serious. <laughs> You've made a- most satisfying. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, so like when I'm using the Sharpies with the kids, sometimes I'll use like the ultra pine point, like the one that almost looks like a needle and then versus the regular one really? versus, you know, and I kind of like to see like, are they going to stick with one? Are they going to experiment with others? Because that just tells me a little bit about mm. that kid. Like, are they willing to try new things? Like, what are they capable of? You know, and like what you right. were saying before, like kids that really want to excel versus kids that are just like, okay, you know, I'm here. Right. It's like, all right, whatever pen was next to me is what I'm going to take. And that's, you know. Exactly. That. And then I got those kids that I'll rip apart my whole closet and be like, I need this specific pen. Right. And I'm like, all right, well, good luck. <laughs> yeah, this is what I have. Exactly. <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool. So, yeah, I love this idea of, of using a simple exercise to gauge openness, um, exploration, etc. Do Do you see like, so you obviously are a fitness guru as well. Do you see like training um like, do you see an analogy between those things? We were talking about music and art, but where's the analogy between like fitness and art? I think just like I was saying with my friend Shannon before, how her and I used to just come up with workouts. So it's funny because she is also a figure skater. And I think okay. our, our creativity stems from figure skating. And I think that that's just like, I know it's cliche, but like thinking outside the box, like, or, mm -hmm. you know, how can I target a certain muscle with, you know, all these different exercises? So it's definitely like, you know, even like my Spartan races, you know, it's a form of creativity. How am I going to nail this obstacle? You know, because mm -hmm. you don't always want to do what everybody else is doing. If there's one thing that Justin taught me, it's you always watch how these other people are doing the obstacles and if it looks good try it and some of them are just out there doing some crazy stuff mm, so. interesting <laughs> yeah so there's a lot there there there's these sort of great artists steal uh quote you know looking ahead what are other people doing um there's uh this idea of intention in the work you know is there something uh, that you're trying to achieve with this project or with this move or with this uh, routine and um, kind of gauging, there's a little bit more, I guess, uh, objective success in fitness than there is maybe in art um, sometimes. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I feel like, I don't know, like for fitness, like in, you want to look a certain way or you want to achieve a goal. I think it's actually kind of the same as making art, you know, when I've made pieces of work and I, I want it to look a certain way, you know, like that's my goal. And that's, I'm yeah. going to do everything in my power to make it look like what it looks like in my head. It right. doesn't happen, but 
you know. Right. That's that's the practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So going through your curriculum, so you're starting with Zen tangles, simple exercise, gazing their openness and how they explore. You're moving to color theory. Um, why that? What what are sort of the what are the things that stand out about color theory? What have you learned by teaching that? Um, Ba- like how people receive that and respond to it? Um, one thing I've learned through teaching color theory is that like things that you, oh, you're frozen. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. You're glitching a little bit on mine. Um, color theory is an interesting topic because things that like we may think are common sense actually aren't. And I see this mm-hmm. even with like adults that I'll talk to. Um, just like the idea of mixing colors and what colors look good next to each other. What are complementary colors? What are analogous colors? And you'd be surprised that a lot of people, like children and adults, don't know that. Like some people just don't necessarily know what colors to put together. But I also think like, is that an intrinsic thing? Like, is that you know, because I feel like I have always just known what colors mm. look good next to each other. Or like when I'm making art, I don't necessarily have a plan. I'm just like, just going with it. And like, wow, this blue would look great next to this purple, but this shade of purple and maybe this shade of blue. So I think mm. that's something that like just kind of develops over time. I think yeah, I think. Need to make... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, so go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just think that like sometimes I maybe expect that a little bit too much of my students. And then I'm like, I back up because, you know, maybe they're they just don't have enough experience like playing with colors. And that goes back to like play, experimenting, you know, Mm -hmm. like mixing a blue and orange may not look good together, you know, but depending on how you do it. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. I I think there's probably, I don't know the actual answer to this, but I feel like from my personal experience, there's something intrinsic about kind of having some gauge of taste or how you want something to sound or how you want something to look. And I think that's developed over time. You're because you're then integrating like things that relate to the thing that you're trying to get it to sound like or look like. and then that's that exploratory process. But I think from the from the start, I mean, we're always picking up signal. So, I mean, even if you're a child, your surroundings, you know, how your parents decorate the house is going to affect, like everything's going to affect, you know, what, what clothes you wear, you know, like what colors, you know, all that stuff is going to have some effect. So I don't know. I, I think there's some intrinsic nature that is learned but like learned more subconsciously and then there's like the more conscious learned like this color like doesn't work with that color from like a, you know if your eyes looking at two very similar colors in value it messes with your head like you could stumble upon that or you could be taught that you know exactly yeah like sometimes my students will ask me they'll come up to me and they'll say, is this okay? And I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, something looks off. And to me, I mean, let's just say color, for example. Like Mm. to me, I'll notice right away if those colors are off. 
but I kind of like let them figure yeah. it out and hope that they come to that conclusion that maybe those colors don't go well together, but that's part of the learning experience. So that's why I don't know right. what's wrong with it. Like I let them figure it out. And then when they can't figure it out, that's what I step in. And I'm like, okay, let's rework these colors. <laughs> yeah. Like kind of have them feel their way to the answer. This feels wrong. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. And then eventually it starts to feel right. Um, exactly. But I'm always yeah. like, well, you tell me, what do you think is wrong with it? <laughs> and then they're kind of like, right. <laughs> nice. Okay. So that's color theory. Now, now basic techniques. Uh, I like this one because the class I'm teaching, I've been really thinking about this a lot. Um, how can we have really hands-on exercises, which it seems like you actually have that from the start. And I've been thinking that too, is how can I integrate as many hands-on exercises as possible over explaining art or talking about art design rather talking about design actually having them like you know do it that's just that's my class like i will put something on the board and i'll say copy it but then it's like it seems simple but then when they go to copy it they're like wait a minute you know but like all of my classes are hands-on uh yeah. in that sense so what are you teaching so I'm teaching a class on information architecture, which is basically a subsection of uh, like app design. So it's basically dealing with the information layer of a design. So any information that's going to be in a design, whether that's like titles of all the pages or that's, you know, oh, we're going to have 50 blog posts and they're going to be structured this way. And this kind of information makes sense. And this doesn't, or this is like, you know, metadata for a database, like all information related things, everything that's not visual, actually. Um, it ends up being visual at some point, but or visualized at some point, but it starts with collecting and understanding how does information uh, hierarchically organized or what information do we need to gather and present that kind of thing. Gotcha. So do you do any hands on projects? Yeah. So like there's a lot of diagramming techniques you could use to visualize information. So I'm having them do a lot of that from the start um, because there is a lot of theory behind it and we could go into theory, but it starts getting very like library science uh, nerdiness very quickly. And that's I'm like, department. what's that? <laughs> I said, that's my sister's department. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, I can only push this so far with like creative people and like they're only going to want to hear so much. So how can I integrate more of the practice? Because that's really what is going to like the, I guess, level of depth of a lot of information structures on most sites isn't really that deep. There's certain ones where it's like really complex websites, but for a beginner, they're not going to be diving right into that right away anyway. So uh, I think, you know, helping them diagram even having them look at like one page on a site, let's say Facebook, looking at the newsfeed, one post, like what information is contained in one post, every single element, all of those things are conveying meaning, the structure of them convey meaning, but they need to be populated and there needs to be like a structure for all the posts. So having them literally break down like one post, what is every single piece of information allowed in one post? And, you know, seeing that sort of, crack open a little piece in their mind of like, oh, wow, 
like there's a pattern here and there's a naming that needs to be had and you know seeing design from that layer first before uh the aesthetic layer i think that's the hardest. if that makes part. sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's like honestly the hardest part like that's like, you know, when I'm teaching all this technical stuff, like sometimes these kids are ready to fall asleep because they just want to be creative, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's all, it's all part of the process. <laughs> and honestly, I'm the same way. Like I've maintained that elementary school uh, version of me as much as I can. And like, I am reading what other previous teachers have done before. And I was like, this needs to be more engaging. Like, actual like um tactically engaging like you, you can't just sit on a zoom by the way and just hear this information for three hours you know like you need yeah. to touch that you need to move things around you need to guess and get things wrong and all of that you know definitely <laughs> shit thanks sherry <laughs> um funny because i just did a professional development uh maybe like a couple weeks ago and it was through the Frost Museum in Miami, which I've been dying to go to. Because um, I still haven't even explored, like, Miami art museums. Because it was like, the minute I got here, it was cold. I couldn't do much. Right. Um, so That's like my experience in L.A. <laughs> I don't know. I feel it. Yeah. So, well, I'm sorry. The Frost is a science museum, which is pretty cool. But um, the Perez Art Museum, like, I don't know. South is that way. But, um yeah, so I've been dying to go there. But anyway, so they had a professional development and it was designing 3D cities. And like the first mm. half of the PD, it's just all about like, you know, the technical stuff and like what goes into designing a city and, you know, issues that you may run into. But what I thought was really cool was that the instructor gave us some time um, at the end. She gave us almost like 45 minutes to an hour. And it was just like, you're going to design your own city and you're going to sit there and draw. And I'll, this is great. This is the best PD ever because I <laughs> doodle and I'm making up my own building. So I thought it was cool because it was, you know, I got the, like the technical side that of course you have to pay attention to and listen to, but then the more fun right. that, you know, is designing it myself. Yeah, it's like there's some level of foundation you need. You need to know, like, you can't build a building, uh, a skyscraper on sand, let's say. Like, so, you know, like there's some reality checking you need to have. But yeah, there's nothing better than, you know, but even if you were to draw like a bunch of skyscrapers, like right on sand, and then you learn, oh, you can't do that. You know, that correction is the same way of learning. I mean, it's a different way of learning the same thing. So... Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so next next section of the class is introducing artists. So I like this because we've talked about taste and integration and how you integrate taste into your work and your life. So um, tell me about that. So it really depends on... I mean, you can really teach any artist to any age and, you know, you just tailor it to whatever the kids are capable of. But um, I like to do it around what my students' interests are and also their cultural backgrounds. So, 
you know, just like New York, Miami's kind of melting pot. So I try to like, you know, I have student, I have a lot of Haitian students, Nigerian students, um, Cuban students. So I'll try to find artists that can fit those backgrounds and then we'll learn about those, you know, and then why they created the art that they created, you know, how did they do it? Where did they start? You know, and like I said before, I do a lot of Romero Brito um, because he is local. His artwork is like right on 95, you know, so it's something like when I first showed Romero Brito, the kids are like, oh, I know that. And because right. they seen it, they're a little bit more interested. Or if I'm showing a Cuban artist, you know, the kids are like, oh, well, I'm Cuban, you know, I just that's how I try to keep their interests. Mm -hmm. Got it. OK. And um, I'm wondering along this process. So going from like like doodling to color theory to hands on work to basic techniques to uh, introducing artists, where do you start to see these little sparks happen uh, for the students along along that process? Where do you feel like the ones that really end up getting into art, start getting into it? Um, they just take more of an interest. You know, it just goes back to, you know, the kids that are there are just kind of there to be there. And then, right. you know, those kids that really want to pursue art, especially in high school, they start asking me, um, you know, what am I going to need for my, for my portfolio? Like, and they try to, well... Mm. Almost like every art project they do, they'll be like, can I put this in my portfolio? Is this good enough? Will college take this? You know, so they're, they're kind of thinking, you know, for the future. Got it. But actually, it's, um, this coming school year, I'm going to be teaching my first AP art class. So nice. I'll okay. You know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what are you thinking about there? Actually, I want to ask about the, the final piece, and then I'm curious to hear about uh, how you would structure a class like that. So the final piece, you said there's more freedom. It's a personal piece with three pieces that were, uh, could be connected in any way. So I gave them, you know, they could pick from an artist. So like I was talking more so to them about like how artists develop their style. You know, like mm. if you look at a Peter Max, like, when you look at a Peter Max, you know that it's a Peter Max. And like the same thing, even with a Van Gogh, like most of the time, you're going to know it's a Van Gogh. Um, so I was kind of trying to get them to really dive into their own style that they've been developing throughout the year, mm -hmm. which some of them did, some of them not so much. Right. Um, we're young. And um, so some of them did like, really elaborate on their own style. And then others were kind of like, all right, well, you know, I like this Romeo Brito, so I'm going to do something like that. I'm going to do, you know, three pieces that are all connected. Um, but I'm going to not necessarily copy Romeo Brito. I'm just going to make it Brito inspired. Mm -hmm. you know? There were a couple ways, like, it's funny because whenever I assign something, like, I don't, always get what I'm expecting. Yeah. I've already seen this. I've done one, one assignment so far. And I was like, oh, I was super clear on this. But like people's interpretation is all across the board. It is. And that's what I think makes it fun. Because like in my mind, 
you know, I'm thinking, okay, all these kids' projects are going to look a certain way. But then I get like 35 completely different things like as left field, but still somehow meeting the requirement. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> right. And I mean, that is the beauty of different people, you know? Yes. It feels like there's no control whatsoever in those moments. But at the same time, it's like, well, maybe there doesn't need to be. Like that maybe that's the moment where people being different and viewing the world differently, uh, it actually makes things better. And there may be learnings between students or things like that. Oh, definitely. Um, but I also think that that's what makes teaching hard, like especially for mm. us, because we don't want to give too much information where everything is like cookie cutter, but then you have to mm-hmm. give enough information to guide them, you know, right. to to meet the, you know, meet the requirements of an assignment. So it's kind of like, that's something I've always struggled with, like throughout the past seven years, because, you know, you, you want them to think and be able to formulate their own ideas. But then at the same time, it's like, all right, you got to kind of contain them somehow. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I gave this assignment. It was like maybe two bullet points of instruction. And I was like, that should be enough. And then I was getting all these messages on Slack, like, oh, what about this? What about that? And I started making a list of answers for everyone's question. And I put that into like a main Slack. But now that's like 15 bullet points of further clarification. Like if this scenario, you can do that. You know, if your page is more than a hundred, if your site is more than a hundred pages, then give a, you know, send us a message and we'll figure out, you know, what, what area to focus on or, so it's interesting. Yeah. You give people, I like this idea of kind of giving them full freedom and then tailoring, you know, or, or limiting it later on rather than the other way around where it's limited from the start. And then you're really, you're getting what you want, but they're not getting what they need per se. Exactly. Um, I'm curious, this idea of developing their style. I love that. Um, when are you teaching that? Is that in high school? Is that middle school? Is that all, all three or? Um, I'd say more so high school, but then there are those amazing middle school artists that kind of, you know, that style does follow them. But it's interesting because like you watch that style develop and change throughout the years, which I always thought was cool. And like, you know, they'll ask me for my input and I'll give them my input. But then it just, I don't know. I have one student and I actually encourage him to like make an Instagram, you know, get your artwork out there. Because I really think, you know, this kid could, could do something with it because he really has a unique style that like I've never really seen before. Nice. So it's kind of like this, it's a graffiti style. So then, you know, with a kid like that, I'll think of other graffiti artists like mm-hmm. Greg Mike, um, I don't know, Banksy, whoever, you know, right. whatever. And then, you know, so they look at those other artists and they'll like take bits and pieces, like what they like about those other artists and then put it into what they already have. So, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like building a library for them. Yeah. Creating art, they kind of think like, oh yeah, everyone did that. And then, you know, they kind of formulate it that way. Um, Yeah, I, I love that metaphor. This idea of a library, sort of all these different things you've seen or read or 
you know, copied or whatever it may be, all being part of this integration of your taste and your creative output. Um, have you, do you speak to them about taste? How do, how are you defining taste when you're, when you're teaching? What do you mean taste? <laughs> okay. Well, what do you mean taste? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, but taste in terms of what? Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's, I get to ask the questions here. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, yeah, like what does taste mean in terms of, uh, in terms of art, you know, like, uh, what does it mean to develop taste or to have good taste or bad taste? Is there that, is that even real? Um, is it learned? Is it, um, is it, is it inherent in the person? Just curious to see where you're at with that. I think it's definitely a combination of things. Um, and I think a lot of it just has to do with exposure, you know, and you develop your taste of art. Like for me, I tend to gravitate towards, you know, abstract bright colors because I guess like that's kind of what I grew up seeing a lot of. Um, mm-hmm. And especially going to art school. But as a teacher, I try to expose my students to everything, like every type of art, whether they like it or not. And I'll straight up ask them, like, hey, do you like this? And they're kind of like hesitant to be like, mm, not really. I'm like, it's ugly, right? You don't like right. it. But that's a good thing because that's how they develop and learn what they like and what they don't like. Yeah. But then I also tell them, you know, art doesn't have to be aesthetically pleasing. You know, there are other reasons why we make art you know, not just to look pretty on a wall. So another discussion, but that's, that's definitely something I wanted to talk about it, which is the function of art in society. Like what is its purpose? What are you teaching uh, your students about that? Like art's purpose in, in this world or purpose, many purposes in this world. I think a lot of people just think that art is just something that is like a luxury and something that you know is meant to look nice and but you know and I talk to my students and we have these conversations about that you know for example like Picasso's blue period clearly he was going through something there so you know and that's reflected in his artwork and then that goes along of like how colors reflect feelings and things Mm -hmm. like that and you know certain artists will create art based around, you know, what's happening during that time period. Um, like, for example, Wayne Thebod, right? The, remember the dessert guy? Yes. Um, you know, that was, you know, we talk about like, they were like, well, why desserts? And I'm like, well, desserts are fabulous first off. But, um, <laughs> you know, back in like the 50s, diners and restaurants were like a newer thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what that artist was exposed to a lot. So that's what inspired him to design these realistic desserts, you know. So we'll discuss things that are going on in like the country or time periods. So so kind of these three parts there, there's art as luxury, as like a aesthetically pleasing kind of connecting to all the senses piece there's art serving the function of personal expression and art serving 
Um, and obviously it can serve all of these things at once, but um, culture is serving like a message or a reflection of culture or someone's life. Yeah. Any other purposes of art that you could think of? Personal enjoyment. Mm, yeah. Play, <laughs> you know, right. Sometimes it's like therapeutic. Um, I remember I had one class that was kind of crazy and we needed to really wind down. <laughs> so I would give going back to the Zen tangles, like doing repetitive patterns, things like that. Mm. Like it can like almost put you in a trance, you know, and you just, right. you know, so definitely for therapeutic reasons as well. That's a great point. Yeah. That relaxation. I think of like, um, Zen gardens or, um, I don't know what they're called, but they're sort of, um, thinking, you know, the shining, like the, uh, the labyrinth or just labyrinths. No, I never earth. thought of that. It's a crazy movie worth watching, but <laughs> only the, it's, um, basically like, you know, big, uh, grass labyrinths that you could walk through. They're sort of like real life mazes in a way. Oh, okay. It's sort of, I feel like that's sort of what a repetitive pattern serves, just like this weaving in and out of things. Uh, also, definitely yeah. watch. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> definitely watch The Shining. It's a crazy movie. I don't know if Justin will let me, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I think he likes scary movies, though, right? He does, but he doesn't let me watch them because it'll be up on. Oh, okay. Up in ways. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You might be. It's pretty weird. Yeah. Sorry, you were about to say something? Uh, oh, going back to like therapeutic art. So this is something that I've never done, but my students are really into it. A lot of my students are into knitting. Okay. I don't know if that's like a thing nowadays. I missed the memo on that one. Yeah. But like, I just didn't shut up. <laughs> I, I literally thought you were going to be like, so they're all like on shrooms. <laughs> like, 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 I shouldn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, they're really yeah, into like, this lately. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like sometimes like, cause I had all my students, almost of my students on Zoom this past year and they'll be like, oh, I'm done with the art project. But then like, they're like this. So it's either they're probably on their phones or whatever. But then sometimes I see them just like knitting like wow. that. I'm like, what are you, what, what are you making? And they're like, yeah. oh, I'm making a hat. And I'm like, Florida, what do you need a hat for? It's <laughs> amazing. I feel like yeah. all trends kind of come and go. And this is like a trend, like a grandparent trend. So it, it skipped a generation or two generations. Now it's back. Yeah. I can't even sew. The rain is so disappointed, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. That's very interesting. So I'm wondering this AP art class you mentioned, what, what do you feel like the difference will be, or will it be very similar to how you teach other classes, uh, other students who are learning art? Honestly, it's, not going to be much different than how I teach my regular classes. The reason that it's AP is because they have to send their artwork along with 
essays, which kids do not like to write essays, but who does? Um, So it's kind of like the essays deter a lot of students because they produce this work and then they got to write a whole page about it. And like, I kind of feel for them in that way because like sometimes you just do things and to have to meet a certain word number to, you know, send to the college board, you know, to grade it. It's a long nerve wracking, you know. Yeah. And then I think they have to do 15 pieces. So along with those 15 pieces, then it's 15 essays. Whoa. But yeah. And it's like they have to talk about, you know, what inspired them? What was their process? Um, You know, if they could change anything, what would they change? Things like that. You know, and sometimes kids are just like, oh, I just did it. Right. And even like sometimes I just do things. Right. Like, you know, I wasn't inspired by anything. Maybe I was, but like, it's nothing like super deep. Like I painted an octopus in my bathroom just because I wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's always like the reflective interpretation of the work that you do. There's always a reason somewhere. Like I said earlier, like, I don't think, you know, you're inherently just good at art. You probably have seen and been exposed to certain parts of the process. So, you know, even when I look back on a record that I write or a song that I write, it's like in the process, I'm not thinking, okay, I want to write a song about this specific person in this way with these words. But then I step back and I was like, oh, I know exactly what the song's about. Like, I wasn't even thinking about that thing, but, you know, it's it now exists and you can kind of reflect upon it. Um but yeah, I, I think that's interesting because sometimes you can be super intentional. I want this record to sound like this and be about this thing and like, you know, uh, have these instruments only and whatever. And other times it's like, I'm just going to do do what I do, be as open as I possibly can. It's still going to come out with some inspiration from things you've seen. But sometimes it is hard to identify what that might be or why that why that exists, you know? Exactly. And especially for kids, too, because they can't, like, even high school kids, they can't always verbalize, like, you know, where they got their thoughts from. You know? Right. Right. But not everybody. Yeah, that's an interesting practice, I guess, as part of a uh, art class to teach is that reflection on the art, like your personal <laughs> art. Yeah, because I think that relates to uh, intention, but it relates to um, that taste and um, what we were talking about earlier, like inspiration. Like, I think some people, I think a lot of people lack inspiration, I found. Like, they don't have a lot, a big bank of inspiration that they're pulling from. Um, And then other people have a whole bunch. And either way, sometimes it's harder to map because sometimes ideas just emerge and you're like, I don't have a lot of inspiration. It just came out. But it's like, well... Maybe for you, like octopus, like you're living near water, like maybe you saw an octopus as a kid and that was like transformative because they're really weird looking, uh, <laughs> you know, or whatever it may be. Or maybe it was a show like when you were growing up, like it's it's so hard to tell. Um, but I do think there is something about recognizing your, ins- like where your inspiration comes from and channeling that. I think there's like a little, there's a power to that. I think that's just hard to identify. 
Yeah. You know, I think it, I think it's a practice. I really do. Um, yeah, I don't, it's definitely you know, like, something like, it's kind of like just being more mindful throughout the process. Yeah. Whereas like what I was talking about before, sometimes, you know, students and even adults, like we just do things and we're not as mindful, but right. then we have to think back and try and figure it out. So if you're mindful throughout the process, then there's no confusion. There you go. But yeah, I think it's mindfulness during the process, which could be bad. It has a downside, which is you're overthinking at each step. It's like, oh, well, what should I do here? There's like mindful and then there's like overthinking, like living in the mind only. <laughs> um, oh, definitely. Definitely had those students where like they're overthinking and asking me 5,000 questions and I'm like, just, just, just sit down do it you'll be okay <laughs> right like something will come out like trusting the process and yeah exactly well right. we're coming up on the hour and i know you have to jump so i want to ask one more question which is um if you if there was one way that you could change education uh to help create better creative people what would you do if you're not doing it already huh <laughs> I would. That is such a hard question. Um, if I could change education, I would definitely make everything a little bit more hands-on because I feel like that's how I learned. And I think a lot of students learn that way. Um, I think, I, of course, I would incorporate more art, you know, if it were up to me and have the kids take art all four years of high school. I think it's that important because art doesn't like it doesn't mean that you're sitting in class and just painting rainbows. You know, it like works on your problem solving skills, your attention to detail and all of those things like play into real life, you know? So, but I think that sometimes in the education system, like art gets overlooked mm -hmm. and they like, that's why I have always have to justify every single thing that I'm doing. Um, but they don't realize that art like segues to other subjects, you know, right. and just overall. <laughs> and, and like that earlier art, art is a subject as well. You know, it's like, it's, it segues to yeah. other ones, but it is a uh, luxury expression, culture, play therapy. Like, I mean, it serves so many great purposes, um, in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. And I just find that like the kids who are a little bit more in tune with art are like also a little bit more self-aware, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I just, I think there could always be more art. <laughs> there you go. Perfect way to conclude this. Yeah, of well, course. All art. For... Art of all forms. What? Thanks so much for, I said art of all forms. Um <laughs> But thank you so much for for um, everything, for for joining, for giving great answers, for telling uh, and opening up about your process and uh, about creativity. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Bye, Mike. Bye.